Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast, or, well, mostly weekly, as long as I'm not sick. So, if I'm coughing, bear with me through this. But I'm your host, PD. I'm here with Eric Seeds. How's it going, Seeds? It's going. We just spent some time at the dog park, so it's a good Monday. Good. Glad to hear it. Uh, We're going to be talking some more NHL Stanley Cup playoff hockey here in a little bit. But first, we've got some Blue Jackets news. Last week was the draft lottery, and after all of the anticipation and all that, there ended up being no surprises for us. The Jackets are going to select at number 12 with their own pick, and at number 6 with Chicago's pick. Uh, those were the most likely spots for each of those. They did not drop down any, which is good news. Um, so now that the draft lottery is done, uh, are you anticipating the draft? Sure. Um, I mean, they hit a, they hit a home run with number five and number twelve last year, so we've got six and twelve. So yep. maybe maybe they can work some more magic. Obviously, it, it this draft isn't as deep as last year's, and it doesn't have the high end talent that the twenty twenty three draft is supposed to have. But sounds like uh, there could be some players in this one. Um, a lot of centers, a, lot, a couple high end defensemen, and it sounds like. Um, Per Scott Wheeler on uh, over at the Athletic, he was on Front Nationwide last week talking about the uh, potential players the Blue Jackets could get. Sounds like there, there's a kind of a cliff after number six or number seven in this draft. So it sounds like they'll get at least one high end talent, and uh, they'll probably get another guy with uh, with some offensive upside, so or with some upside high end potential. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, obviously the. Blue Jackets are a couple of years away, so anytime they can get uh, a few players in the first round that they can get into the system and develop, it's got to be a good sign at this stage of where they're at. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm I'm glad that the lotto's done and over with. I was getting a little tired of people talking about like the various scenarios and like, oh, you know, should we want Chicago to get into the top two this year so that you know we get their pick next year when it's supposed to be a better draft and all that, like. I, I felt like that was overthinking things. Like I'm okay with having the pick now. You get the player into the system now. You get you know sort of a year ahead of things on that. And um, even though they say it is not a super deep draft or a super strong draft, like I still think that there are intriguing prospects here. 
And the fact that we've got two bites at the apple is really exciting. Because so, I feel like with one of these picks, we can take a guy that is maybe a high floor player. So who's like guaranteed to be at least an NHL contributor. And then with the other pick, we can take someone who has super high upside, but maybe some risk factors, you know, because you got the two picks. So I think you can take a risk with one of them, right? Yeah, my, I would agree. Um, in, in a draft like this, I think, uh, I think they should just be swinging. Take, like, just go, go get the most talented guys you can at each position. Um, Ideally, a couple center picks would be nice here. I that's what that's what I would do if I was mm-hmm. in this position. Um, I'd be swinging for centers because we've needed centers forever in this franchise. If you can get a couple guys who have that potentially number one, top six center high upside, go for it. What, what what's the worst that could happen? You end up with a with a uber talented guy who might just end up as a top six wing if he doesn't stick at center in the NHL. Oh darn! There's, there's worse places to be as a franchise. Yeah, I sort of feel like with forwards, just take as many natural centers as you can get because you can always move them to wing. Whereas if you've got a winger, you can't necessarily play them at center. But center's such an important position. Take as many as you can get there, and you know the cream's going to rise to the top, and all the others you can. Hey, you know if you get a guy in the middle of the first round that becomes like a solid number three center. There's value to that, you know. Uh, you need those kind of reliable depth guys. You need those guys that can do a 200 foot game, that sort of thing. Um, or again, yeah, you can move him to winger. Like again, Kent Johnson, I still feel like he's probably a winger long term. But if you take, you know, Johnson and Sillinger, and then yeah, draft two centers in the first round this year, that's like four high end talents. And you know, you only need two of them to be your, uh, you know, number one and number two center, right? So your odds are, you know, go through the roof that you would hit on some of those. And then maybe one could be a winger. Maybe one doesn't work, but you know, you've got, you know, more lottery tickets there. Um, What, what do you think about drafting a defenseman with one of those picks? So I don't hate the idea. Um, Kuhlman's over at Wisconsin had a bad start to his freshman year. Um, picked it up as the year went along, but he's still a few years away. Sounds like he's going to be in college for a couple more years, at least one more. Mm -hmm. Um, The Blue Jacket, now obviously, I want them to pick a center because I have long harped on the need for a number one center. You don't, if you look at teams who win Stanley Cups, they have a bona fide true number one elite center. So, and the Blue Jackets have never had one of those. So taking cracks at that as for as as many times as you can high in the draft, you, you're never going to go wrong in my eyes, swinging at centers. As far as drafting a defenseman goes, the Blue Jackets' other big problem is they have no idea when this team is good in a few years, unless Kuhlman's really takes a next step forward, they don't know who's playing next to Zach Wierenski. Mm-hmm. So taking one of those two defensemen, because they'd both likely be gone at 12. So taking one of the two at six would probably... I wouldn't hate the idea. I would still prefer they go center there, but if they fall in love with one of these defensemen and they think he can be a partner with Zach Wierenski for the next 10 years, then that, then I can abide by that. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I, my, my thing with, with defensemen in the draft there, I just want to make sure that it's someone that has skill 
you know, and not just a guy that's, oh, well, he's he's big and physical because that's when you fall into the Gabriel Carlson trap of, okay, he's big and physical, but, you know. What else limited, is he bringing? Yeah, there's limited upside. Now, on the, on, you know, the flip side is you've got skilled players on our defense now, like Adam Boquist, but then there's the question, can he ever be strong enough to be a major contributor in the on the defensive end? You know, and I was thinking how it would be nice to have another Savard or Gavrikov type long term, but neither of those guys was a first round pick. So you know, maybe those kind of defensemen are ones that we draft in later rounds and then just develop. You know, I don't know if you ever really need to get that high end defenseman. Um, and the, and the more of the physical type defenseman there in the first round, I think in the. In the top 10, you you find your guys like your Zach Wierenski or Kale McCarr. You're going to get one of those more offensively gifted defensemen in that range, typically, I feel like. Right, or even a defenseman who, I, I can't believe I'm going to say, only, you know, you can only go get a Charlie McAvoy, but go get a yeah, yeah. Charlie McAvoy, someone who's an extremely stellar defensive defenseman, but is not nothing offensively. Right. Like, like the, the top 10 is when you find those types of guys. Your Savards... Gavrikovs, those guys can be found in later rounds because those are big bodies that you develop. Those are just big physical guys that you develop and uh, they just play sh- that shutdown role very well, which is valuable. But in if you're drafting a guy in the top 10 of the NHL draft, you want someone who's going to give you more than just 30 points in uh, <clears throat> you know, 18, 20 minutes of shutdown play. You want more than that. Right. And, and I'm, you know, we've talked before about the defensive pipeline and how much they've added to that in recent years. And I am intrigued by some of these prospects that we have. Um, but I don't think any of them are so intriguing that it precludes you from taking a stud in the first round this year. If one's available again, like with centers collect as many as you can and let the best make the team and the others can be traded or, or th- something like that, you know, just again, take as many chances as you can at those types of players. Absolutely, that that's what I would do. Is I'd be I'd be swinging for centers, and it, if it works out that you only have a middle six or top six winger, oh darn, those guys, those those are valuable pieces too. Yeah, the the, the bottom line is just find talented players and make, make get the roster more talented from year to year. Get the pipeline filled up from year to year. So your overall organizational depth chart is just always getting better. Uh, that that's the goal. And I feel like, you know, last summer, uh, they accomplished a lot of that in terms of adding talent to, to what we had. Yeah. Well, last summer's dra- Yeah. Last summer's draft was a home run. And if they can yeah. duplicate that this year, they're in a really good position two, three years down the line. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, after so many years of, you know, where we traded away first round picks or things like that, then to have this two year period where we have, you know, potentially five first round draft picks that we're adding to the pipeline. Um, that's a huge infusion of talent. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really, really exciting Look, going forward to see, see what that could turn into at the NHL level. Absolutely. And it's, and, and it's encouraging that at least last year, their first round looks a lot better than the last time they had three first round picks when, yep. which did not, turn out very well this this last year's draft looks really good um Cole Sillinger's tearing it up at Worlds right now um Ken Johnson looks really good and then Kuhlman's can if he can take a step forward that's 
that's another big piece. That's that. So fingers crossed that they trust their system, trust their scouts and just continue to add as much talent, high end talent as possible. And they're in a position to do that with six and 12. Yep. Now it, I didn't want to spend too much time on the world championships, but it is worth noting. First of all, that the Ken Johnson, Cole Sillinger both made team Canada, which is really awesome for these two teenagers to make the team. And that, yeah, they both scored a goal in Canada's first game of the tournament. And then, yeah, I think Ken Johnson is sitting at two goals at this point. And anyway, it's great to see them thriving uh, with that opportunity. So hopefully that can give them more momentum going into the offseason. All right, when we come back, we'll be talking about the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. We're back, and I have to say, the first round of the playoffs was, I was so excited for it, we talked about that last time, and it exceeded my wildest expectations. There was only one sweep, five of the eight series went to Game 7, the last two Game 7s on Sunday night both went to overtime, oh my god, it was it was so good. So I am really anticipating the second round series, I feel like. Uh, there are a lot of great matchups here, a lot of really ideal matchups based on what we had seen in the initial brackets. So I'm going to start with uh, the first game on Tuesday night. It is the Battle of Florida. This is a rematch of a first-round series from last year. You have the current President's Trophy winner against the two-time defending champions. So, Seeds, uh, do you think it's going to be Florida or Tampa that gets out of this one? I would be remiss if I went into discuss first. I would be remiss if I went into this uh, discussion without mentioning that I wanted, was cheering for, and was bitterly disappointed by Toronto not winning that series. Mm, they, okay. they, they proved, at least to me, they proved they were every bit as good as that Tampa team, and it just sure. sucks that this playoff format served up that they got stuck with the Lightning and they lost a one goal game seven. Yeah, but it, which is the ultimate, that is the literal definition of a coin flip in the NHL. I didn't think they turtled. I thought they played really well. Um, uh, their big guns looked very good in that series. Um, 
it should be noted, Braden Point got hurt and yep. missed part of that game seven. But I thought Toronto did an incredible job, and I am very impressed with how they look this this postseason. Um, so, so you would not blow it up there, is what you're saying? I'd give it one more kick at the can. Um, I think they looked fair. Now, if you can trade John Tavares, mm-hmm. might be, I, I might look at that. But I would not trade any one of Marner, Matthews, or Nylander. I would consider bringing in Barry Trotz if he's interested. Um, Cause I'm not sure that Sheldon Keefe is, I think he's a good coach. I don't think he's a great coach necessarily, um, but I agree with you that the, the core of that team finally produced this year. And I, I think they could do better with the way that they fill in their depth. I think if you look at, you know, Tampa does a much better job of filling in those supporting roles you know, yeah, like maybe don't middle. rely on maybe don't rely on Wayne Simmons and Jason Spezza. Yeah, you know, you had Nick Paul coming through with two goals in Game Seven. Like, go go figure. And, and Toronto, so much of their talent is concentrated on at the forward position, and their defense and goaltending is. And Jack Campbell was was fine. Yeah, I thought Jack Campbell played really well. I thought he played really well in that series. But anyway, we spent too much time on this, and we need to get to the. So, it, so but yeah, so. The Battle of Florida, I think the Florida Panthers pull it out. They are deeper than Tampa. Mm -hmm. They crucially do not have a major injury up front like the Florida, like the Tampa Bay Lightning do. Braden Point, uh, it was announced they will miss at least game one. They expect him back at some point in this series, but he will miss game one. I think that is critical because he is so vital to what Tampa does on offense, on the power play, he plays the middle role probably better than any player in the NHL right now. And, and I, frankly, frankly, I am stunned to hear that that was not a serious like knee injury or something because that looked like a really bad injury. Yeah, I thought he, I thought he blew his like hip out or something like and needed a hip replacement. It looked awful when I yeah, an- saw it. An- ankles don't twist that way. So no, so he, uh, I think that I think that injury. And if if Tampa falls down to nothing, Florida just has to hold, and Florida crucially has home ice in this series, and they just have to hold serve. Like they they can they can lose every road game. I think I think it matters to Florida to have home ice this time around. I think that is why they will pull this series out. Does it give you any pause that Florida struggled a bit with Washington? Because I know both of us thought that that was going to be a very easy series for them. Um, and they really struggled at times with the Capitals. Does that worry you at all? No, because they figured it out. Um, Florida, I've been watching a lot of the NBA playoffs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this is like this is like Christmas. This, this month is like Christmas to me, yeah. uh, sports wise. What I saw from them kind of reminded me of what I didn't see from like the Phoenix Suns. The Panthers struggled in their first round series, and but managed to they found a way to win it in Game Six without needing to go to a Game Seven and having all that pressure on. Whereas like Phoenix against they went up two nothing against the Dallas Mavericks, imploded, no, then no showed Game Six and got blown off the court in Game Seven. Like right, Florida managed. The, the mark of a champion or of a, a true contender to me is that they, when they needed a game before the game seven, 
when they were like, we can if we lose this game, they're gonna we're gonna have all the pressure on us. They found a way to get it done. Mm-hmm. I think that, and th- to me, that matters. That shows some sort of that shows some level of mental toughness to this team. And okay. I think I I really do think that matters. Yeah, I th- along a similar vein though. That's why I even before the the playoffs I picked Tampa to win that series because they've got a lot more playoff experience playing together than this Florida team does. Should be uh, noted but, in my bracket I picked I picked Tampa too. <laughs> uh, also, they have they have Andre Vasilevsky who, when it comes to important games, he is lights out for the last few years. And meanwhile, Florida has been having playoff Bob. So that's something that gives me a little bit of pause with Florida. Although I do think you're right about the depth. Um, and when you have a guy like, you know, Carter Verhage coming through and having huge games, like that's, that says a lot for, for Florida. So I think that, I think that series though is going to go the distance. I, I think I just don't see too much separation between those two teams. Um, the next series that starts on Tuesday is in the Western conference in the central division Colorado against St. Louis. Now, St. Louis is the one team uh, here in this uh, final eight that I did not have in there. I had them losing to Minnesota. I'm not surprised that they pulled it out. Um, that was a great. It was a great series. St. Louis is, I think, a really a deep team. You know, there's no really any one star that's great. Um, I mean, Tarasenko has had a, you know hat trick in one of the games, but. They've got contributions from all over the lineup there. Um, obviously, Colorado had no issue with Nashville, a Nashville team that didn't have UC Soros. Um, how much more of a fight do you think St. Louis is going to give Colorado in this series? I think it'll be more of a challenge for Colorado. Um, mm-hmm. I think Colorado still gets it done. I would, If I were picking, I'd pick Colorado in six here, but... Yeah. The Blues are deep. They're deep, and they are not afraid to make changes. They're not afraid to screw with you stylistically. They did beat the Avalanche once in regulation or once in the regular season this year. Um, Colorado went two and one against the Aval or against the Blues. Um, I think the Blues will put up a fight. I don't think this is going to be a series. I think this would be a series where it ends in six, but every game is close. Like St. Louis finds a way to keep it within a goal. It's a, it's a tie game, one goal game going into pretty much every third period, uh, sure. one goal either way. I don't think we're going to see like any blowouts in this. I think, um, I think the blues are going to put up a fight and it would not surprise me if they pulled this out because as we know, the avalanche are cursed mm-hmm. and can't get past round two. But I think, um, I do think this team is good enough to get it done. They are more rested. They haven't been through the physical gauntlet of that Minnesota St. Louis series. Um, But I think uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if St. Louis pulled it out, but I I don't think they will. I I agree with it being a six game series. The way I could see it unfolding is that St. Louis jumps out and takes game one, just because Colorado has so much rust. Um, But then Colorado comes back, um, T- takes game two, takes game three it, in St. Louis. St. Louis then gets one back at home to tie it up, and then Colorado wins the next two and closes it out that way. That's how I see this series going out. Um, d- what do you think about the decision for St. Louis to go back to Jordan ben- Bennington? And with Bennington playing in 2019 form, do you think that's sustainable? 
I didn't think it was sustainable in 2019, and he won a Stanley <laughs> Cup. So what do I know? Um, it was the right decision. Uh, Huso was struggling something awful for the Blues. He just didn't look very good. Um, Bennington, I mean, the Blues goaltending can be hot or cold on any given night, and I, I just honestly don't know what to expect. They they could come out and steal this series in five games, and I wouldn't be shocked. They could get they could allow four goals a game, and uh, the Blues need Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly to carry them offensively to be in this series. I the Blues are a very weird team in that they can win just about any way on any yeah. given night, and it wouldn't shock me. So yeah. they can win or lose on any given night, and I wouldn't be stunned. Yeah, I, I, I'm, curious, I'm curious to see how it unfolds. I I like, I mean, I think Colorado is such a juggernaut that it'll be interesting to see them get tested in a different way and test, tested more so than they were in the first round and, and see how that helps them going forward. Um, the, the next series that'll start on Wednesday in the Eastern Conference is the New York Rangers against the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, even though the, the Rangers pulled out that series against Pittsburgh, I feel like they didn't really play that well at any point in that series. Am I nuts? No, if you look at the expected, like if you look at expected goals and like win percentage and like that deserved to win, whatever, uh, the Penguins blew the Rangers off the ice in that series. And it sucks that Crosby got hurt because if he hadn't gotten hurt, the Penguins probably would have won that series. They probably would have closed uh, out in six. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think this is going to be much of a series. I don't think the Rangers are that good. I think Carolina is fairly good i uh, i don't know what to make of them struggling against boston but it was just a homer series you know the home team won every game um i'll I'll be honest this is probably the series i'm least interested in i don't really care about the rangers and i don't really like the carolina hurricanes i think the bunch of jerks thing like Mm -hmm. it's come full circle and now i just don't like them um so i probably won't watch much of this series if i'm being totally honest with you I yeah I mean I think I think it could be an interesting series. Uh, there's a number of players that uh, have played for both teams, which always makes it interesting. You have like Brady Shea and Tony D'Angelo as former Rangers defensemen. Uh, I again I feel like the Rangers' only path forward to winning is Igor Shosturkin playing out of his mind. Uh, I think Carolina's got a really deep team. Uh, when even a guy like Max Domi was stepping up and scoring two goals in the right. game stuff, and that was that was awesome. Um, which I and I don't I wouldn't say that the Carolina struggled with Boston because that's a pretty good Boston team. Um, that series was a battle, like I thought it would be, and it came down to you know which team was able to match up better, and you know getting having last change was so crucial in that series. So it'll I, I will look forward to seeing the games in New York and see if Carolina runs into the same matchup troubles there or if maybe New York just doesn't pose as much of a matchup struggle for them. And, and I don't think they do because I, New York doesn't have a line like the, the perfection line that Boston has. So um, I think that should be a comfortable Carolina win, not, not thinking sweep or even five games, but I think they will win fairly, uh, very comfortably in that one, especially relative to what they did against Boston. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think, the New York Rangers pose the physical challenge that the Boston Bruins do. They don't pose the intimidating, you know, we've got this dominant line 
we're gonna we're gonna just swarm you kind of thing that the Boston Bruins do. I just don't think the Rangers are as good of a team as the Bruins, and yeah, for that reason, I agree. I think Carolina wins this fairly easily, five six games, and they're waiting for the Atlantic in the Eastern Finals. And then the final series is the Battle of Alberta. Um, I am really looking forward to this one. I re- do you remember that game? It was like in February on like Saturday night where it was like nine to six or something like that between these two teams. Yeah. Give me, a, give me a seven game series. That is nothing but games like that. That would rule. I can't wait for this series. I, I have bought a giant pack of Red Bull just to get through, just to make <laughs> it through this night. I cannot wait for this series. But we get we have a battle of Florida and a battle of Alberta in the second round. This is gonna rock. Um I was surprised at how much Calgary struggled with Dallas, but yeah. Dallas plays a very good brand of low event hockey. They just force you to they force you to play their style very effectively. They and Jay Godinger played out of his mind in that series. He was in, he was incredible. I don't think Mike Smith is Jake Ottinger. And that is why I think Calgary is going to win this series. I think if the Oilers want to go high-flying, Calgary can match them. But Calgary can also play kind of a clamp-down defensive style that the Oilers just can't do. The Oilers just are not good enough defensively or in net to do that. And that's why I think, ultimately, Calgary wins this series. Yeah, I think Calgary could play a style of hockey where they realize that they could um, basically let McDavid and Dreisaitl do whatever they want but they can shut down the rest of the lines and that will be enough. And as you said, if it becomes a, a high scoring affair, Calgary has the scoring depth to be able to keep up with that. I mean, this is a team that's been able to score in bunches all season, but it's a they've got 200 point the, guys, but they can also be very effective defensively. They play that Daryl Sutter style hockey. Um, yeah. I, I, I was very pleasant. I wouldn't say pleasantly surprised because I, I felt it could be a slog at times, but, Dallas came in with exactly the right game plan for how to, you know, slow the flames down. Um, The first few games were really tough to watch in the series because it was so low event hockey. Now in the back half of that series, I think Calgary actually figured it out. It's just that Jake Ottinger was playing out of his mind. So, I mean, at one point last night, uh, it was still the third period and Calgary had put up a hundred shot attempts I mean, that is an insane number of shot attempts, which shows me that, okay, that's not, you know, Dallas was not doing their thing defensively. It's just Jake Ottinger was playing out of his mind. But, you know, Dallas was getting, at one point they were getting tripled in shots. I think by the end of regulation, it was doubled up. So, um, you know, Calgary figured it out there. It was just a matter of getting goalie. That was the only thing that, that kept those last few games close. So you're right. Mike Smith is nowhere near Jake Ottinger. So I, I don't see, I don't see what kind of answer Edmonton would have for, for what Calgary's doing. And I think, you know, LA played a pretty good defensive style of hockey against Edmonton and they really had fits with it. So, um, yeah, I, now, now do you think, is that, is it a disaster for Edmonton if they lose this series? Like, is that going to cause any fall out there do you think or do you think they'll say oh well you know we lost to a better team i i think it depends on how it goes down um if it's if calgary comes out and just shuts mcdavid and dry down and edmonton gets swept 
and it's like not competitive, then yeah. I think you've got some questions. If it's if it's you know Calgary wins in six seven games, but it's a slog. McDavid has a good series. Drysital has a good series, which we should mention. Drysital like is injured. He did not look comfortable in Game Seven. Um. I think then the Oilers are like, we're not that far away. Let's run it back. You know, maybe make an addition on defense or something this off season. I, I think they are kidding themselves. I think they're farther away than that, but I can see how they would talk themselves into it. I do think at this point, Jay Woodcroft has gotten, yeah. has done enough that he should get the coach, the head coaching job permanently, okay. or at least next year. I think he's, cause he's done a really good job. He's steady that, they played much better under him, for sure. Yeah, now, I think they need to get rid of Ken Holland as general manager, but I felt like that way during the regular season. I, I felt that way after the first round. I feel that way no matter what happens this round. I feel I, you're... I, I felt that... I felt... Good job building this team, yeah. Yeah, I felt they should get rid of Ken Holland the minute he decided that Mike's 39-year-old Mike Smith was worth extending for multiple years. I yeah. fundamentally yeah. do not understand what he is doing. Uh, yeah, it's it's baffling, but um, yeah, you know, you know, you can't you can't blame anything on Connor McDavid because he has been playing just like how you expect Connor McDavid to play. And so the fact that you know we've got him for another round in the playoffs here is it's great. We haven't seen that enough in his career. So um, I I think this series is going to be a really good show. Um, it's going to be one worth staying up for. I mean, I I stayed up for game seven there in Calgary and it was totally worth it. I fell asleep during Edmonton LA game seven. I was disappointed about that, but um, I I think the series is going to be worth it for sure. Absolutely. I think, I think this is probably going to be one of the, one of the two battle series is going to be the best series of the playoffs, either this one or the battle of Florida. Um, McDavid had McDavid had two points a game in the first round. I, and he's going to have to do something similar to, uh, have a chance in this one. I'm really excited to see if he's able to drag this Oilers team kicking and screaming to the conference finals, despite everything else about that roster saying they shouldn't be there. Yeah. And, you know, he absolutely could pull it off now, you know, before the playoffs, I had picked Calgary as the winner on my bracket. Um, I was getting really nervous about that after the Dallas series, but I feel like they can get on back on track with this one. So uh, fingers crossed there. So, yeah, I should note. Is, I've. Yeah. I was gonna say I should note in my bracket. I picked for the winners of these series. I picked Tampa, Carolina, Colorado, and Calgary as my finals, as my conference finals teams. The only one of those I regret or I would change now is I would swap Florida for Tampa. All right, interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna stick with uh, Carolina, Tampa, Calgary, and Colorado. So it's mostly chalk, but. Uh, I'm sticking with that. So, all right. Well, that will do it for us this week. Uh, Tune in next time. We'll talk to you later. For more content from the Canon, go to jacketscanon.com. You can also follow the Canon on Facebook and on Twitter at CBJ Canon. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Perley and the Howlin' Moons. Go to AngelaPerley.com for more music and show dates.